Hello, this is Jason Bullman. And I'm his wife, Rachel Bullman, and this is the School of Humanity podcast. There's a wonderful quote from St. Irenaeus that says, The glory of God is man fully alive. And this quote really propels everything that we talk about on the School of Humanity podcast, how we can use everything to glorify God, everything in our culture, everything about the human person, and all of it glorifies who he is within us. It's so good to be back. We have been thinking about the things that we would love to speak with you guys, and um, the Lord has been really, really good with that. There's almost too many things to talk about. Yeah, it's one of those things where we're, you know, there's always things we're studying and reading and like, oh, that'd be great to talk about. But then it just goes on and on and on because, you know, <laughs> right. I'm in classes, um, you know, formal theology classes. And so, you know, everything from scripture to uh, next semester is ethics. And we did one on philosophy. And like, meanwhile, we're always like, oh, it'd be great to talk about these things. But then everything moves so fast, you know, right, and then right. we've got our own thing that we're Yes, bring it to the young adults. Pray. We we have the young adults things. The Lord is doing a lot of things with other aspects of ministry, and right. uh, I'm working on a book proposal. I whispered that book proposal. Right. So just just pray for all of those beautiful things, and we're very blessed. Really, is what it comes yeah. down to. But speaking of classes, we were in. I took New Testament this summer. And he, uh, the professor, um, brought up the fact that, you know, as deacons, we're going to be facilitating um, funeral services and um, graveside services and stuff like that. And he said it would behoove us to read a particular document written by um, St. John Paul II called uh, Salvici Dolores, you know, redemptive suffering. So this article I just kind of went through and... We'll see what the Lord has in in store for us, but I think we're going to try to talk about uh, the nature of suffering on this podcast, which is not an easy thing to do. No. (laughs) Not an easy thing to do, and it's heavy (laughs) because, you know, nobody likes to suffer. Right. And it's hard to deal with that reality in this life that we suffer. Um, Yeah, I remember um, I, I was on a podcast with John Leonetti, and he asked me why... Why do we think that doing things spiritually is difficult? Like to deal with spiritual clutter was what we were speaking of. Um, And I remember saying that, like, I think everybody wants the nice car, but nobody wants the car payments, you know? Yeah. And it's kind of the same thing. Like all we look at these wonderful saints and people that inspire us and we're like, man, really want to be holy. But then if you really spend any time getting to know a person who you find to be holy or getting to know the saints and all these inspirational people in the history of the church, you're quickly going to realize that they're that way because they've suffered. Right. Maybe the first thing that we can talk about uh, is kind of how he begins the article, which he pretty quickly mentions the fact that suffering is evidence of man's transcendent calling. So maybe I'll say a couple of things and then get some thoughts from you, Rach. But sure. right off the bat, when I was thinking about this and praying with this, we all know that suffering just doesn't make sense to us. It just seems irrational, right? Whenever we suffer, we feel lost. But on the contrary, whenever we're happy, we feel very, very much at peace and very much at home, right? Right. Thinking of like one of our children, you know, you don't have to learn that suffering, there's something wrong with suffering, right? It's just sort of innate. Right. 
um, when kids are suffering in some way, they cry. And, you know, and then when you hug them and comfort them, they're at peace and they become happy. So in a sense, suffering sort of speaks to the fact that we are called to a state of happiness. We also know there's really nothing that makes us permanently happy in this life. Right. You know, like we have moments of happiness, but we have a lot of suffering as well. And so what's ironic too is that even though we sort of innately know that there's nothing that will make us perpetually happy, we, we still pursue we it. We still pursue right. it, right? We can't help it. And I would say that even subconsciously we're convinced that perpetual happiness has to sort of exist by the fact that we continue to seek it, even when we fall into like despair. Because I would say even the person in despair, I mean, let me know what you think. I think even the person who's sort of despairing cannot help but subconsciously long for happiness. I think that you have that. I, I love when you were saying that, the thing that came to mind was the thought of light and darkness. Like even to be in darkness for a long period of time, you would still long for the light. That's true. But there's no part of you in the light that longs for the darkness. Right. Um, and there's no part, because you were made <clears throat> in light. Like right. you were made in a state of perpetual joy. Like if you were made in the heart of God, who he himself is joy, then that's your natural state. Like your natural state is joy. Right. Now there's a necessary reason for suffering, which I'm sure that we will get into. And you kind of already touched on it. Right. Just that transcendent nature of suffering. Mm-hmm. He talks about the, you know, that suffering goes as deep as the mystery of man himself. And that uh, it's sort of like this world that lives around us and within us. It's a part of our existence in this right. world. Right. We Which can't really, escape it. It's really interesting because you have your own suffering. Like, I guess your subjective suffering is what you could call it. Like right. Your own personal suffering. But then the suffering that you see in, in community, like this almost objective, you could even say it's like an objective suffering yeah. that exists in the world. And it's manifested more in, in some people than it is in others. Absolutely. But there is a objective sense of suffering because we are all separated from God physically. St. Paul talks about this a lot, that like Romans, really, when he's talking about, you know, just as through one person, sin entered the world and so affected everyone after, so through the one man Christ, you know, uh, we're all redeemed, so to say. But just that notion of original sin that the church and her wisdom developed from Paul's teaching there is sort of like this objective state of sin that uh, is communal, and and right. personal all at the same time. Right. What is quickly then brought up in this document, which I thought was, I mean, the document is really well laid out, so please read it when you have time. It's, it's kind of dense and long. And we can link it too. We'll link over to it. Yeah. So he says, you know, suffering results whenever man experiences any kind of evil. But he quickly then says, but evil has to be understood as the privation of the good. Because he, right. you know, he talks about the fact that God didn't create anything evil because he's all good. And therefore, anything that, that is, that is, is good. Evil is the deprivation of a good. Right. So, sort of, therefore, man suffers from a good of which he is deprived. Mm, that's so good. Okay, so let's put that in light of something. So, what's a suffering, more of a superficial Well, suffering? let's talk, I mean, hunger. 
Hunger, right? right? So obviously food is a good. Right. Those that are hungry or deprived of, right. of said, said good. Right. Same with, you know, any kind of like um, medical condition or physical suffering. Right. Because when God created the first people, we were never meant to die, right? <laughs> we were never meant to have our bodies, you know, decompose. And What about mental or spiritual suffering? Yeah, so he does talk about the fact that like, he gives a section to medical providers and medicine and, and that it's, you know, oh, a good I see thing. Why you like this. I'm just kidding. Right. <laughs> but but he quickly says, like, medicine really has only served to the physical, but that right. he, he says moral suffering is rampant and is are, is kind of intertwined with every kind of suffering. Yeah. I mean, so spiritual suffering, for example, would be the privation of right order you know, which mm. is what peace okay. is. Peace is the right ordering of our faculties and our, so our intellect and our will sort of having domin, uh, having dominion and right. sort of control over our lower faculties, our desires, our, you know, like just our body, you know, our bodily right. desire, fleshly desires, things right. like that, uh, which are not bad. It's just that we are disordered and, and so spiritual disorder yeah, so uh, like the, the person who longs for communion, but then disorders that in such a way that they gain an addicted to pornography or exactly to those kind of right. Things so that. they're they are deprived of a specific good. Now the next thing that we can talk about, and this is where it gets hard, and you know, where you know people have struggled with this philosophically for a long time, is the fact that good people can suffer because you know in the book of Job. If you ever read it, you know, his friends are all convinced that Job's suffering because of some personal sin, yeah. right? But Yeah, they even ask him, like, what did you do to bring this upon right. yourself? Be, right. And, and, you know, it's sort of natural for man mm. to assert that kind of thing, like injustice deser deserves punishment. But the whole purpose of this book on Job is to show that suffering can't be, re you know, reduced to merely a matter of causality yeah justice for the sake of personal sin you know then so there will be suffering that you don't understand exactly so that brings the big question like why is there suffering in light of an all-loving god you know why do right. good people suffer right and i would argue having written a paper on it and stuff that i mean the jews could not answer this question well it's it's sort of left unresolved in in job it's alluded to maybe in the future, but it's left unresolved. And that's because I feel, I feel the church feels that the only way that suffering can be made sense of is in light of the Christ event, in light of Jesus. Right. Because, you know, now all of humanity has to be understood in light of the perfect human, in, in light of the God-man, in right. light of the Christ event. You know, to go back to the beginning of the document, one of the first things he, he talks about is how St. Paul can say that he rejoices now in his suffering for, you know, the sake of others. Right. And how he makes up in his own flesh the suffering, the lack of the sufferings of Christ. I mean, just a couple of solid, I think, uh, examples of this in our family would be Gabriel. Gabriel has herbs palsy, for those of you that, that may not be aware of that, but it was just an injury that he suffered at birth. He, he, he tore he, some the, vital nerves. Basically all the plexus, the brachial plexus nerves. Almost all of them, yeah. yeah. And so he um, 
almost he had no function in that arm when we when he was first born. And so he has had three surgeries now. Mm-hmm. But just the stories that have come out of the things that he has discovered about himself through all of this. And he's only eight. So right. he's just there's just been some very beautiful things. And, and all of those things have been redeeming for other people. Right. You know, the other people that have witnessed that, the things that he said that have witnessed them, you know, every child is a miracle. But to witness the things that he's gone through. You know, and and know this walk that they've walked with us, that that suffering that we have experienced has redeemed others. Absolutely. You know, most recently for us, one of the things that one of the reasons why we've been on, on such a hiatus is because we it was probably what I would guess towards the end of June that we found out that we were pregnant with baby number five. And we were both really shocked. <laughs> I would say that just saying that out loud is very uh small compared to our shock right. the night that we found out. Um, but we were both really shocked and the shock finally went away and we were getting really, really excited. And I thought that it was going to be a boy, you know, I was super excited about that. And we were waiting cause you know, I'm older now, 21, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm older and baby number five. So we thought, Hey, you know, we're going to wait till about three months along, probably like 12 weeks along before we tell anyone. I went away, came back, Got home and it was fine. I mean, nothing, nothing too out of the ordinary. Uh, Gemma, our five-year-old, had gotten a stomach bug, so I thought maybe I had like contracted what she had because I had gone to the gym and was just feeling really lightheaded. And uh, got home and told Jason I was going to go to bed. It was like eight o'clock. Went to bed and about you know three o'clock in the morning woke up bleeding, and so we lost the baby that night. And um. It was kind of a whirlwind that whole weekend because that was a Friday night. And then Saturday morning, we went and met with our doctor and confirmed that there was no heartbeat. And then uh, had to come home and tell everyone because we elected to have the, the surgery. It's called a DNC. And so because of uh, just the recovery period, we really knew we were going to have to tell everyone. And then, you know, Jason and I do have some uh, a, a little bit of a public life Obviously, we have this podcast and some other things. So it was kind of a a big whirlwind and something that we kind of invited other people into. And we had to tell the children that morning, you know, that for the next week, because they weren't in school. Were they in school yet? They weren't in school yet. No. I don't remember. I don't think so. Um, so they weren't in school yet. And I thought to myself, like, I've got to tell them because I'm going to be home for a week and not be able to do a whole lot. Right. It was their last week of summer, actually. Right. What I think about it. I ended up writing a post for Word on Fire about what we went through. And I know that that has been, I can't tell you guys how many women I've met since then that I would not have known that they had had a miscarriage ever till we lost the baby. And so the baby, I always thought it was going to be a boy. And you know of our love. And of course, it's really funny that we would be talking about a document from JP2. So we named the baby Carol with a K. I like Carol Wotia, which was John Paul II's name prior to him becoming the Pope. And his middle name is Dietrich. So Carol Dietrich Bullman after Dietrich von Hildebrand. So ever since we lost Carol, you know, just inviting everyone into that suffering, you know, our families and, and, and strangers, you know, that have been able to read that blog. Um, I think that that has redeemed a lot of people's own suffering. Just the thought of being able to, to know that it's not like a clump of cells that we lost. Right. But that it was a person. Yeah, so in a way, what you're saying is like suffering, uh, ironically, can bring people 
closer together. It's educational is the way that he puts it, like in a lot of ways. It calls people to, uh, you know, sort of like what's most important. You know, you could almost even, you could even call it like a school of suffering. Right. Because it does. It makes you realize that things, a lot of things are very important. You know, I think about, um, especially after losing a baby, and even though it was very early on, you know, we were probably close to three months when we lost Carol. And I just remember thinking, you know, what is it going to be like to lose a baby? And then thinking about all the other times that I've gone to a hospital and, and brought home a baby um, and, and knowing that I wasn't going to be able to bring home a baby at that time. And then the other the other really beautiful thing that I think to bring up, too, is that for those that are not aware, a DNC, at least the way that they do it at the facility that, that we use here in town, our, our local hospital, which you get put on a table in cruciform, which means like Jesus. So you are put like you're on a cross. You put your left arm out and then you put your right arm out. And I laid there like Jesus. And the posture in which we exhumed the body of Carol from me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I remember thinking just before that, um, just that, that the baby would be gone after that, you know, would be gone out of me after that moment. But the thing is, is that I think that losing Carol then allowed me to come into this world of suffering that I didn't know anything about. You know, I have many, many friends that had lost babies that I knew of, but I'd never known anything about that. Um, And not that that is something that I am proud of, but that it allows me to share in that suffering with them. Right. That if I had to think about the way that I embrace someone that has suffered a miscarriage prior to us losing Carol, my embrace is different now. I think the profound loss of of a life, which is about, I guess, maybe the most intense suffering you can go through. I haven't thought about that, so I don't want to say that definitively, but, you know, losing someone that there's a loss of life there, it kind of, it's such a transcendent reality that we're not meant for death that like your love in your heart is heightened, is is um, increased. Right. Um, I've talked about suffering now, and um, we still haven't covered a little bit uh, that we want to speak about, which is just that Christ has literally redeemed suffering for us so that it becomes something, instead of irrational, it becomes rational right. and logical to suffer. And that's because it's become linked to love. So when Jesus suffered and died as an innocent victim and took sin and death onto himself, became sin, he linked suffering to a perfect love. And so suffering now has been transformed. And us as the body of Christ, our suffering has been raised to the level of redemptive suffering now. Because we are united to him. Again, suffering speaks to the dignity of man because Christ, it would not do dignity to man for Christ to just eliminate all suffering. Rather, he invites us. In fact, he says it's a good, and he explicitly makes it known to us in Scripture that we have to suffer. We have to enter by strive after that narrow gate, which is the cross. He, he even links it to what constitutes our likeness to him. You know, suffering, just like we said, you mentioned earlier that like sin has a communal 
aspect and sin also has, you know, like you have a subjective sense of sin. You also have a communal aspect of sin. And I think suffering is in that same way. Right. That suffering is never meant to be done alone. Right. But the enemy really loves to use any sort of suffering, whether that be suffering in sin, suffering in body, suffering in the fact that we've, you know, lost a baby. I think that there's always this temptation to kind of close in on yourself. Let me carry this suffering alone. The redemptive aspect of suffering means that suffering has to be done with others. Yeah, and specifically with the Lord first and foremost, right? Right. If you suffer without Jesus, then suffering is irrational irrational. and And despairing. How does someone invite Jesus into their suffering? Because I know that that's probably a question that people would ask, you know, I, I, I am suffering. It's through encounter with the reality that of what he did for us uh, in his life and in his, especially on Calvary. Right. I mean, you look at a man, the man Jesus, and the absolute love that he shows to all of us to the point of, taking on uh, sin per se, like through his eyes, he saw the ramifications of all sin. You know, that whole, my God, my God, why have you, from the cross, like, I don't think we recognize that he took on God abandonment. Like he saw what the depths of absolute separation from the Father looks like. And so he perfectly... Uh, in his act, redeemed us. But that redemptive act is always open because it's linked to love, and love is dynamic and ongoing. And so now when we suffer, we suffer in that one perfect redemptive suffering, and ours becomes redemptive too. As you were saying all that before we start to wrap up, you said like, you know, he saw all of suffering, and I think that it's, it's important for every person to know that that means that he saw your suffering. Yeah. You know, that he saw death, he saw sin, he saw suffering, he saw deprivation, and out of love took all of those things on. And I think even as you were saying that just now, I imagine the fact that he saw Carol, you know, that yeah. he saw this baby will die and this family will suffer that. Oh my God, the amount of sin in this world, the suffering that people go through. Right. And I don't know how people make sense of those things without Jesus. You not can't. Sure, I mean, how difficult that would be. You know, my mom died a few years ago. I've talked about it on here before, but she she had a faith-filled life. But towards the end of her life, she just did not really turn those kind of sufferings over to Jesus. Right. I think about all the times that I really wish that I could have explained it to her. Like what, what it would have been like to be able to show her what the redemptive quality of her suffering. I know that if it was suffering that is turned over to God, because there are so many people that ail in body and ail in soul, ail in mind, but the quality of it takes on this quality of, there's this beautiful story of St. Louis Martin, who was the father of St. Therese of Lisieux. And towards the end of his life, after he'd lost his wife and he was raising his daughters alone, he had a conversion and another conversion, you know, as we are constantly converting And he said, Lord, I have not really suffered for you. Right. Like, let me suffer for you. Yeah. And he ended up losing his mind. And they put him into kind of like a a mental health hospital. 
And they, in St. Therese's letters, she recalled that once when she went to go and see him and he was lucid because she said, you know, it was such a great fall for him because he had been such a mighty man. And then for him to, to basically lose his mind towards the end of his life. And basically he said that his humiliation was his joy because this is what he had asked for. Right. To suffer with Jesus. And so that's just an incredible thought. So final thoughts from you, my love. Now that you've made me cry during this. Yeah, I mean, I just want to stress how important this is in the spiritual life. Like, this is a part of your life. This is what redemption looks like. And I think that people... It consists in suffering. I think that people need to understand that Jesus wants your pain. Like, he wants you to physically let him have that, to let him have your suffering. That does not mean that he takes that away. But that does mean that he can elevate it and make it transcendent. Right. And I think that maybe a lot of times we think that maybe God, he only wants like our good parts. He only wants our talents and he only wants the things that we're good at and the things that we allow the world to see. But he wants the deepest, darkest depths of your soul. And he wants the parts of your heart that you feel are most broken, that you would never let anyone see. The parts where you suffer the most. Because if we would imagine mercy as water water is always going to travel to the lowest depths and then from that lowest depth is going to provide the most growth you know and so i think that if we can allow those places to kind of come up even push them up ourselves to give those things to him there's so much redemption that's possible not just for you but for everyone you love and you cannot redeem other people you cannot introduce people to Jesus, except to the depth at which you have met him. Amen. Thank you guys. God bless you.